morning, Sunnybrook. My name is Bryce. Hi, Bryce. Hello. <laughs> I'm one of the residents here. Uh, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, today we're going to be in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. If you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen. All right, verse 19. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. And I now realize I skipped four verses. So I'm going to back up because those are really important for Jim today. <laughs> Verse 24. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if you don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. I'm going to go ahead and read that again just so we get the flow. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen, who have not seen, and yet believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, if Thomas could be here this morning, he would have just went, yes. Thank you, thank you. And then he turned to John and said, why did you have to include that? Why, why John? You know, it's interesting, um, I don't know where Bryce went. I, I just, I don't like staging things. I need to get him to do that again in second service, to be honest with you. Because one of my points that I wanna make, which I'll now move a little bit earlier in the message, is that when you read this text, what you find out is that Thomas is not alone in this. And when I say that, I don't mean that you and I are with him, that we struggle to believe, that we have difficulty to believe, that, oh, if I could only see. I, I doubt if you're as belligerent as him, but maybe because you know you don't have an option. Unless I see, I will not believe. That's probably not you. But if I did see, I think I would believe more. But one of the things that we will notice in the text is that what Jesus Christ does, not just with Thomas, he says to the other ones, see, look, touch. Our, our faith in Jesus um, is not a blind faith. When I say that, it is still faith, meaning it is still, um, whether you wanna call it a leap or a step, there's still something that has to happen that you and I need to place our trust in something. That's what faith is, to put our, our, our hope, to put our trust, to put the way that we live, our actions, 
Um, it, it's, not, it's not just I see and now, and I would even say that, that Thomas still has to believe Not that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that seems to be clear to him, but he still has to connect the dots that the reason why Jesus has been resurrected from the dead is because God has appointed him to be the Messiah of the world and God has accepted the death of Jesus as payment for my sin. How do you see that? Like how do you see, unless I see, you can't see that. The only thing that connects that dot to Jesus is faith. And sure, Thomas struggled, John struggled, Peter struggled. As we talked about last week, um, the journey of faith has many stops along the way. And we are all not only encouraged but we are challenged and strengthened by the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit to God to stay engaged in the struggle of believing. And this book describes not just saints who automatically and rather easily believe, but a whole community of faith with obstacles and difficulties labor to believe and are demonstrated by God, his kindness and patience with them. And I I don't know of of a better gospel that draws attention to this than John. I can't say it's because, you know, John was one of the disciples. Of the four gospels, he wasn't the only one. Matthew was also a disciple. Matthew doesn't seem to wrestle with this. Matthew doesn't have a lot of interactions between the disciples and Jesus. It's also interesting that although John is the one that has the most engagement with the disciples after the resurrection and before Jesus ascends to return to the Father, John never includes the list of all the disciples. The other ones do. It's literally, it's the calling of the disciples. And and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a list. Jesus went about and he gathered these disciples and then it mentions them all by name. And Jesus sends them out. Jesus calls them to himself and then sends them out. I want you to go and proclaim what I am here to proclaim, which is the kingdom of God has come. The Messiah is here. I am the king and God is here to restore order to disorder, to bring healing to those who are not just sick, but but are like our our sin sick. And God is back and he's, he's making everything new. And so the disciples did this. And then, even though Jesus predicted it, the death and and burial threw everything into turmoil. The resurrection begins to bring peace to that, but then now what? And what we are going to see this morning from from John's perspective is is kind of like a commissioning. It just doesn't look like the other ones. I I think it's just good for us to be aware of what, what Jesus does in the other gospels in terms of what it means to be resurrected, to now get ready to go, and Jesus restores these two things in different ways. He restores peace, and he restores purpose. Peace and purpose to his followers. And I think that's what I think we need today. We need to hear the words of Jesus, which are mentioned three times in this text. Peace to you. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's not just peace to you. It's also 
This is why I called you in the first place and nothing has changed. If anything, my resurrection brings, um, not quite ultimate because that will come at the very end of time, but it is a preview of coming attractions, a trailer, if you will. I want you to see now all of what I am about and I want that to now completely take over your life. I wanna restore this purpose to you. Do you remember when I sent you out? Yes, we remember Jesus. We remember all the great things that we did. I know, and now I'm sending you out again. It's funny because actually the text in John has them not going out. It has them staying behind locked doors. That's not where Christians belong. Behind locked doors in fear of the authorities. No, like I get it. Like I know why you did it, right? Locked, 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 locked. It's, it's safe here. That's not why Jesus died and was resurrected and has ascended and has sent his Holy Spirit so that you and I could hide. It's so that you and I could have a true sense of peace and a restored sense of purpose. So rather, rather quickly, I'm not here to, to explain these texts, but Matthew, we know, has what is known as the Great Commissioning. He says to his disciples before he sends them out, we can see this in verse 16 of chapter 28. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? Worship and doubt in the same verse. Yeah, because it's in the same people. They're still trying to understand. Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Until I come and make everything stop and for the new earth and the new heaven, complete restoration, until that time, you and those who come after you have a mission. And it's described there in Matthew chapter 28. Now, I think it's good for you to, to take a look at this. And by the way, if any of you want to have an additional conversation, not only myself, but I know a number of people that would love to talk to you, turn to Mark's gospel. Because Mark's gospel, I believe, ends at verse eight. And then there's a kind of probably a box in parenthesis in your Bible. And it'll just kind of stop there and say something to these effect. Um, the, the following verses are not found in the, most oldest, in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. I, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about why that is, about how that came to be. But I genuinely believe, like your Bible does, that Mark ends in verse eight, which is interesting. And if you go back and look at how this word, this concept of, of fear is developed in Mark's gospel, I think he wants to leave you with a kind of a sense of awe. Mark doesn't seem to want to resolve it like the other ones do. And I think that's the reason why some scribe later on wanted to add these verses, <laughs> is because they like you. That's a terrible way to end, Mark. No, 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 don't you understand? Happy endings, happy endings. And Mark knows there's a happy ending, but for some reason, I think he ends it here. They went out and they ran from the tomb. 
because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. End of scene. Now hear me, it's not the end of the story, but Mark concludes it there. Maybe because he's really trying to draw attention to um, his audience, most likely in Rome, that is struggling and has a lot of uh, profound difficulties. And hear me, I'm, I'm sure they know the rest of the story. Jesus is who he said he is, and, but for whatever reason, it seems like the account ends there. The women coming to the tomb, realizing that it's empty, and then just running away afraid. It doesn't have the resolution that John offered that we talked about last week when Jesus reintroduces himself and the angels continue the conversation. No, Mark ends it there. Interesting. And then Luke. Now, now Luke has one in his gospel, but the one that we're probably most aware of, this idea of sending them out, is actually found in the book of Acts, which also is written by Luke. And in that, in chapter one, beginning in verse six, Jesus brings the 12 to him, and it says this, beginning in verse six. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, because you and I love to ask questions of Jesus, that we don't understand the implications of the answer, but since he does, he is both kind and gracious and truthful. I know why you want to know this. Is it okay for us to admit that there are things that we want to know that we can't fully understand or appreciate and God in his kindness and in his eternal wisdom holds back some things from us? That's what we see here. Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Like one of the most Strange questions, because it seems like the most obvious thing to do. Jesus just went up, and they're just gazing. And the angel says, why are you looking up into the heavens? Um, seriously? You don't know why? It, it appears to be. No, but he, he said you have work to do. And it's interesting that the work that they have to do immediately is the work of waiting, waiting until the Holy Spirit comes, waiting until Jesus continues to do his work according to his timing. You need to get back to work, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come so that you can continue the work. Why do you keep looking up into heaven? And then the angel says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And then the disciples go back to Jerusalem to wait. So Jesus, in his wisdom, says to the disciples in different situations and in different contexts, after his resurrection and before his ascension, 
I want you to remember who I am and I want you to remember all that I did. I want you to remember the mission that we had because that was not just a short-term mission. It was for the rest of your lives, no matter what difficulties might come your way. That is why I think maybe Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you surely cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you see those kids today? They were such children. Did you see the excitement? I don't know if I have seen that much excitement. I really don't. I don't know if I've seen that much excitement. Do you believe, I mean, and again, Braden's kind of, how many of you guys know him? He's kind of even keel, right? Do you believe that Jesus, I mean, he, he loves Jesus as much as any of us. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of, do you see him kind of get choked up? Do you hear her response? Yes! Yeah, I do! What are we waiting for? <laughs> it was just this excitement that just, I bet you the disciples had that excitement when Jesus first said to them, come and follow me. Will you come and follow me? That invitation, I would argue, probably shocked all of them. Rabbis were the ones, come and follow me. Um, you can't manipulate that. That's actually the, 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 the purpose of the rabbi is to, to call those, to select those. I mean, you remember how excited it was to be picked, right, in some. Did I just lose? Oh, I thought I lost my mic. Um, you remember what it was like to be picked at a young age, right? Imagine Jesus picking you to be on your team, on his team. Imagine the excitement that we're going to go out and do all the things that you do. Wow. Imagine the questions that you have. Imagine the difficulties that come when things don't work out the way that you want. And imagine now that you're at that point, really, that the disciples are in, which they're still trying to make sense. Just stop for a moment and realize everything that is going on in the disciples' minds. They've got roughly three years of ministry with Jesus, where they have seen him do the miraculous. It appears they themselves have done the miraculous. They don't fully understand what's happening. If anything, they are believing that the kingdom that's going to be coming is this Onward and upward, there might be steps backward, but it would look like this. Five steps forward, one half step back. Six steps forward, one tiny little baby step back. They're not expecting Messiahs to be crucified and then to remain dead and have to wait until Sunday. They so did not see that coming. So there must be a deep sense of reservation. Jesus, I mean, these things have to be. Jesus says in John's gospel, the Holy Spirit will, will bring back to your memory the different things that I have taught you. I've often wondered, why does Jesus, it seems to be that in the, in the time period, that, and by the way, we're gonna kind of be walking through this as well. In the time period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, I, if I was Peter, Definitely if I was Peter, I'd be asking this question, why do you keep leaving us? Like, where do you keep going? Like, I don't understand. Like, it's in John's gospel, he appears to them, and then the next week, he appears to them. Seven days. Why aren't you spending more time? I mean, I have so many questions. And part of the reason why, as we see in the book of Acts, they're gonna ask questions like, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Do you see what they don't get in that question? Why doesn't Jesus just fix that? Why doesn't he just, it appears because, it appears, genuinely appears that them knowing too many things may redirect them in their purpose that they should be following. And so Jesus, before he sends them out, needs to say to them repeatedly, peace to you. Like I just, I need you to just stop and to find peace. Now th this is a term that is definitely used in Jewish circles, shalom, shalom. It's a greeting. It's also a goodbye, but it's, it's a greeting. It's, I, when, I, when I come, I, I wish for you the peace of God to rest on you. It's not peace. It's God's peace to you. A, a peace that comes from a restored relationship with God. Not being concerned about who God is and what God is, um, is, is doing um, that might be somehow against what you are doing. It is that idea of a restored relationship between you and God. All the benefits that come from that relationship. That's what they mean by shalom. And Jesus says to his disciples three times in this text, peace to you. I think the reason why is because is there's not a lot of peace in them. They're locking the doors because the Jews are threatening them. They remember in their minds that Jesus made it very clear. Um, if they're going to treat your master this way, they're going to treat you this way. And we do know they are going to treat them that way. It's not like their imaginations are getting ahead of them. No, James is gonna be beheaded in not too distant future. They are going to be beaten regularly and thrown into prison. They're aware of that. Jesus is aware of that. And he says to them, peace to you. Look, look at the text beginning in verse 19. It is evening on the first day of the week and the disciples are gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus came among them and said to them, peace be with you. And then having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I think I've often forgot that before we ever get to Thomas, unless I see, unless I touch, Jesus beats the others to the punch on this one. After he said peace, he showed them his hands and his side. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And then you have that, that time in between. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace with you, peace to you. I want you to have the same kind of peace, not from circumstances, but from my presence. Not because there aren't out people out there that are against you or will hurt you, but I will be with you. Not because everything is going to be five steps forward, maybe a step back, but that's not the point. I will be with you. A great reminder that our peace that comes does not come by having our prayers answered, but by knowing that he is listening. 
It's not by having everything we want just unfold in front of us. But knowing that the one to whom we pray through the one we pray through, to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit's intervention, we are able to ask God and he will give to us what is best for us. Peace to you. It's a different kind of peace. Jesus, did you make the bad guys go away? No, but I'll be with you. Do you see that kind of peace? This is the kind of peace that Jesus continues to offer to us. Whether we find ourselves with the rest of the disciples at the beginning or whether we find ourselves acting more like Thomas. Verse 27. And then he said to Thomas, who what? Unless, <laughs> he's, he's doubling down a little bit. Unless I see, I know you guys got to see, right? So it's easy for you to say, I wasn't there. Jesus comes to him and says, put your finger here, look at my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not be faithless, but believe. This kind of tangible faith is actually something that actually was a big deal, not just to Thomas. John loves to talk like this. John, in his letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus in 1 John, loves to just describe that what he is giving a confession to, what he is explaining is that this is who Jesus is and we saw him and we touched him and we experienced him. This isn't some kind of disconnected belief system from reality. Instead, God has been with us and we walked with him. Like he's real. So John seems to care deeply about this very tangible, very real faith in who Jesus is. Before he died and after he died. So Jesus seems to offer his body, his, his literal body, his presence as a peace to Thomas and to the rest of the disciples. Don't be faithless but believe, and then Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, this is, I take a lot of courage in this. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed is Jim Johnson, who's going to really struggle with this, and will never actually get to see this, but who shares with you, faith in me. Isn't that interesting? And this is, by the way, it's in the context of peace. Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and you've believed, but blessed are those who are not going to experience this, who are going to wrestle with it like you wrestle with it, who are gonna struggle with it like all of you have struggled with it. Blessed are those this is, by the way, what, what Jesus loves to do is he loves to pronounce blessings on people where it's not, um, it's not recognizable. It's not as easy to recognize. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Really? Blessed are those who mourn. You're kidding. Are persecuted for righteousness sake. Okay, that doesn't make sense. 
Blessed are those. Blessed are those who never see like you see and who still believe. I genuinely believe that this verse here is a hope, a promise of hope for peace to you if you have ears to hear it this morning. Jesus knows your struggle. He has compassion on your struggle, on the obstacles that stand in your way that are making faith in him, trusting in him, believing in him, because it's not tangible. And Jesus pronounces a word of peace to us today. And I hope that that peace then rests on you. Do you struggle to believe? If I had only, if I could only, if God would only, all great comments, questions. And Jesus says, those who are able to, peace to you. And I genuinely pray that you not only work through your issues of faith, but recognize, um, for those of you that, that, that genuinely believe, I, I've, I've talked about this a lot. I, I, I've thought about like, why I believe for, for, for my entire life. I've often wondered why I believe, in part because I grew up in a context where almost nobody else believed. So I kind of stood out a lot. It didn't make a lot of sense where I was. I don't understand how you can believe. I don't know why you would believe. And I, I used to have answers for them. Well, here's why I believe. Well, here's why I believe. Why? Here's why I believe. And the more that I began to think, I kept, but why do I believe that? Like, why do I choose to believe that? And I, I think I've learned to love the fact that my faith is strong. And I have reasons, by the way. I do. I have reasons why I believe. But that initial point of contact that I have with Jesus is still a step. You want to call it a leap? I don't care. Of faith. And I believe in this blessing. And I believe in this promise. For Jesus is good. But he doesn't just want the disciples to have peace. He, he called them for a reason. This is a good reminder. Jesus has not come into this world to demonstrate God's love and God's purpose for you alone. Jesus came because God loved the world, not just you. Jesus came because the world needed to be reconciled to God, not just your family. Jesus ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit so that not just you and not just your family and not just the place in which we live could find peace with God, but that the entire world might. And I just, I have to be reminded that where I stand today is not where this promise or this commission was given. I want you to think about that for a moment. If we were to go back to the place, I'll be there actually in a couple of weeks, but if we could go back to the place where Jesus said this, it is thousands of miles from here. It is thousands of years from today. 
and it goes through so much difficulty, Jesus is saying to his disciples in this upper room, I am giving you my peace, but now I want to resurrect the purpose that I have for you. I want you to realize that all of what I have called you to do is now going to have a greater level of meaning and purpose. And he does this. Look at what he actually says here. Look at verse 22. After saying this, my peace to you, he actually says, he breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes into what the disciples are all about, what the disciples of Jesus are all about. I believe it is these disciples most specifically, and then also us as well. That who we are and what we are about is, above all things, telling people of the good news of the restoration of broken humanity to a loving, caring, merciful, holy, and just, and righteous God. Jesus actually says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, then they are retained. Jesus is telling the disciples they are going to have a message and that message is one of forgiveness, one of God's reconciling hope, one of God's restoring purpose. These disciples are going to go about, first of all, to the nation of Israel and then to all the nations of the world. And those who are going to believe in this message, even though they never got to see Jesus like they did. And their purpose now is to share this message of forgiveness. Now, I think sometimes we get all wrapped up in this idea. What do you mean that whoever they forgive is automatically forgiven? Text doesn't say automatically. And whoever they don't forgive, they'll never be. Text doesn't say that. The text is describing in a very short form what the gospel message is, which is an invitation to have your sins forgiven, to be made white as snow to have shalom with God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It is an invitation of new life and new hope. It is an invitation into peace that is full of grace. And then for those who say no, then they remain outside, they remain broken, they remain in their sins, they remain, it is this incredible offer that the disciples were sharing before Jesus Christ died and was resurrected and ascended and it is now going to be the centerpiece. You are going to go about and you're going to talk about this kingdom that I have come, that I have established and you are going to invite people to be a part of this. But by the way, there are going to be those This is what you and I need to come to terms with. Who are going to say, some politely, some not so politely, I'm not interested. I don't want any part of this. And that's hard. And that's difficult. But that's what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. Not to merely have peace and to live in that peace but to recognize that you and I have a purpose in all of the very specific places that God sends us to go. Where you and I, by the way that we live and by the way that we act and by the way that we hope and by the way that we struggle, by the way that we deal with our fears, is a sign that we have been forgiven. Is a sign that we have a restored relationship with God. 
It is a sign that God is still in the world. And they see that in us. And then we extend that to others. We have real conversations when we are, where we are encouraging and challenging people. I'm not just asking you for you to kind of have the same kind of peace that I have. Although that's part of it. I am asking you to, to recognize the full extent to which God has loved you in Jesus. Not in my kindness We're not trying to win people over to our winsomeness. We're not trying to just invite people into our community. What we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring them to him, the only one who brings peace. And therefore, I pray this morning that you and I are able to, in light of this text, and we have a few more to deal with in the book of John, to recognize that the peace that Jesus Christ has called us to and has given to us is the same kind of peace he so longingly desires that we would faithfully extend it to others. We are going to now partake together of this meal. And I wanna say something and be very clear when I say it. Um, The Bible actually teaches that in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, that for those who are part of the body of Christ, they need to eat this meal together. And it also says that, by the way, be very careful how you eat this meal. It says that we should examine ourselves. The, the most specific context there is that we recognize that we are the united body of Christ. And, and Paul implies in that text, specifically to the Corinthian people, If you are eating and drinking this and yet you don't have the kind of love for the rest of the body, if there are specifically divisions among you, if you've got hatred towards a brother or a sister and now you're just gonna kind of go, hey God, everything is, don't eat, don't drink. We also say, out of love for those of you right now who aren't followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't something that you should partake in. And that's not because we're trying to exclude you. It's actually meant to invite you in. But the invitation that comes in, which goes to all of us, is an invitation to forgiveness and hope. So when we say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I I pray that you will use this time, we mean it. We pray that you will use this time to consider the invitation. Not just so that you can, you know, eat and drink with the rest of us but that you can experience Jesus, who he is. We're about to worship who he is with the rest of us. That kind of invitation stands. And by the way, every time we eat and drink, Paul says what? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are not, not, not perfect, but, but genuinely in good standing with God, we remember that he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. Peace to you. How? Only through me. And we take it and we eat. And he takes the cup. His blood for the forgiveness of sins that we experience and that we proclaim. Let us take and drink.
And now, let us stand and worship this God of peace and this God of forgiveness.